A few weeks ago, I was lying on the floor of my office pretending to meditate with tears running down my face. I wasn't actually meditating. Really, I was just escaping the persistent feelings of overwhelm, dread, and paralysis that I'd been experiencing for days. I knew something was up. And that's when I decided to get to the bottom of this, to find out why I was so burned out. Welcome to Think About This. I'm Alexis Dean, and I am so glad you're here. For years, I've been building a community to support high-performing, high-impact, wildly generous women entrepreneurs. Yet over the past couple of months, I've had dozens of conversations with entrepreneurs who are feeling completely burned out or on the verge of burnout, just like me. It's something we're thinking about, but we're not talking about it. So many of us have been at what Brene Brown describes as surge capacity for months and months on end. And whether or not your business is succeeding, you're likely feeling the mental and emotional effects of the pandemic too. Burnout has been described as an epidemic of our times. So this season, listen in as I pull back the curtain and talk to experts who can help entrepreneurs like you and I to better understand burnout and stress cycles and improve our mental wellness so that we can continue to live our big dreams and build impactful legacies. I hope that sharing my journey will show you that you too can give yourself permission to raise your hand And if this is the case for you, to say, I'm not okay, and ask for the help you need. On this episode, we're thinking about using psychedelics for stress, burnout, and entrepreneurial success. Before we dive into this episode, this is a massive disclaimer that I am not a doctor. Our guest on this episode, Dr. Sherry Walling, is not your doctor, and we are not suggesting that you do psychedelic drugs of any kind. Most importantly, psychedelics are still completely illegal in most parts of the world. So please do not take this as any sort of medical or legal advice. We are not promoting breaking the law in any way. Any events mentioned on this episode are completely alleged events. And if you're looking for medical support with managing your stress or burnout or any other issues, please speak directly with your doctor and or your therapist. Now, let's get into it. So first, a little note to my family. (laughs) Please remember that anything I mention on this episode is purely an alleged event. I may or may not have partaken in psychedelics in my lifetime, and I may or may not have taken them for stress or burnout-related symptoms. What I will say is that psychedelics are having a heyday. They are no longer considered the drug of choice for mind-bending hippies or ravers. And most entrepreneurs who I talk to every day have heard of microdosing or, in many cases, they're actually partaking in microdosing as part of their stress management routine, meditation practice, and creative undertakings. This doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it every day. And I think that's also really important to note. So if you know me and you know that I have a sense of humor and I can be pretty excited and zany at times, please don't think that I am constantly microdosing. If you've considered taking psychedelics or you're thinking about why people might be doing them, then you're going to love today's conversation with Dr. Sherry Walling. Sherry is a clinical psychologist, speaker, podcaster, best-selling author, and mental health advocate. Her book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Sh Together, combines the insights and warmth of a therapist with the truth-telling mirth of someone who's been there. Sherry's a Dovetail Summit alumni, and she's one of the only professional psychologists that I've heard openly speak about psychedelics, and specifically integrating psychedelics and therapy to support your mental health. 
As the host of the Mind Curious podcast, Sherry explores themes of well-being, existential dilemmas, the nature of consciousness, pleasure, healing, and more, all through the lens of psychedelics. On today's episode, you'll learn what's happening in our brains when we're experiencing high stress and or burnout, what exactly are psychedelics and how do they change the state of consciousness, why are so many entrepreneurs and other high performers using psychedelics to support their mental wellness, what are some of the dangerous potential negative side effects of psychedelic therapy, what's some of the important research around psychedelics, PTSD, and trauma, and what could psychedelics do for burnout prevention, care, and recovery? Who should people consult about psychedelics? Where should we go to possibly legally participate in psychedelic therapy? And so much more. Buckle up and get ready for a great conversation with Dr. Sherry Walling. Sherry, I am so glad you're here today. I just love you and I know that this is a conversation that I have been wanting to have for a while. And, you know, frankly, I just wasn't sure who to have it with because most therapists are not like you and they are not informed about psychedelics in the way that you are and don't come with the same background. And so I'm just so excited to have you here today. Thank you for being on the show. I'm really glad to talk about this because I think it's uh, the question of psychedelics is like front and center for lots of folks, but I think you're identifying like access to good information is kind of hard to come by. And I will say like lots of people know a lot more about this than I do, but um, it's definitely been an area of some research and clinical training. So I'm working on being um, a really good source of information. Amazing. Yeah. There might be folks with more information, but I think the context that you bring to it is so strong. So as I mentioned in the intro, you know, you specifically work with entrepreneurs um, and experienced entrepreneurs. And, you know, this year, I know that you have come on board with MindCure and now the podcast, and you've been doing so much work in this area. So I'd love to share with the listeners a little bit more about your backstory. So how did you come to not only be a a therapist that works with entrepreneurs, but also uh, working in the psychedelic space. Like this is something that, as I said, is so rare. Oh, well, those are both probably kind of long stories, but the short answer is that um, I'm married to an entrepreneur. My husband has started and sold several tech companies. And throughout the course of most of my life, there have just been entrepreneurs in my living room. So even though I was in a traditional academic role as a psychologist, doing research, teaching, providing clinical services, there was always a part of my life that was all about business and entrepreneurship and who's doing what, who's making what new thing. So I really heard in that community over the course of these years, you know, the same kinds of mental health challenges that I was hearing with the other folks that I was working with in the clinic. So lots of conversation, of course, about burnout, depression, anxiety, relationship challenges, how to lead well, all those things. And I really wanted to be a voice to help speak to that in the entrepreneurial world. So that was the start of that piece. In terms of psychedelics, some of the background of my work, or I guess the first iteration of my career was really focused on trauma and the conversation around psychedelics as a treatment for PTSD is one of the longest standing formal research, I guess, domains that has existed in the U.S. So MAPS, um, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, has been doing research related to MDMA as a treatment for PTSD for a number of years. So I knew about that academically 
And I just became very curious about it because I saw so many people who needed other opportunities, other strategies. Um, I also, part of my story is that I lost my brother to suicide a couple of years ago. And so that kind of led me on this journey, some of my own grief and healing to really want to think about how to do mental health care differently. And in the course of that question, psychedelics just kind of kept swirling back. There's so much research pointing in the direction that these are important healing options. And um, so I've, I've wanted to pursue how to make them more accessible and safe for people. I love that. I think that when people hear often they hear psychedelics, they don't think accessible and safe. <laughs> so that, the words that come to mind are probably not because psychedelics are not legal um, in most places, right? Um, and when you, even just then, when you said, you know, working with trauma and PTSD and using MDMA um, to treat PTSD, MDMA is also not legal. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's used in clinical studies. So in certain right. contexts, it can be used legally, but um, generally speaking, no, you can't go to your physician and have them prescribe you ecstasy. <laughs> yeah. And for those who are listening, if you're not familiar with MDMA, it's also known as the streaming name is ecstasy, correct? And when I think yeah. of ecstasy, I think of like ravers in high school going to rave parties and staying up all night and grinding their teeth. Um, I'm definitely not thinking of treatment for PTSD. So I think it is phenomenal that um, there is so much research happening and that it is potentially going to be able to use to treat people and, and change their lives in a really healthy way. Um, which brings us to you know why we're even talking about this. And for myself, I wanted to share a little bit about the backstory of, of how I came to use psychedelics and you know for my family members who are listening or entrepreneur friends who are listening who are like, what? Um, yeah, I think it's, I don't know if it's legal to share, but I, I could put it this way. I have considered using psychedelics. Um, <laughs> I allegedly may or may not have had allegedly some experiences. Not, <laughs> yeah. Um, and prior to, to allegedly may or may not using psychedelics, um, in a therapeutic manner, I had only ever allegedly experimented, you know, back in college or university where, you know, we'd go hiking and go camping and maybe try mushrooms. Um, and then throughout this burnout experience, um, and in a, a few years ago when I was experiencing, um, seasonal affective disorder and living in the North, that is a pretty standard for many of us. I also experimented. Um, and so having that opportunity to try it, I, it changed the way I was feeling. Honestly, I was in a really, really difficult spot this year. Um, in what, you know, was most likely very full burnout. I just was not yeah. functioning very well. I was on the floor of my office. I just could not think straight, like mm -hmm. just really struggling to get things done that I knew I wanted to do, but just like not functioning at my highest at all. And, a friend who knew that I had experimented potentially with <laughs> allegedly with uh, psilocybin in the past was like, well, you know, I do this you know, three days in a row, just a microdose, and it helps to kind of lift me out of that darker place when I'm in it or helps to kind of change my state enough that I'm able to progress and, and move forward and, and get back to a place where I can even talk to people about this or, you know, have the therapeutic conversation. And so I did that allegedly this year <laughs> and uh and it helped immensely and mm -hmm. so 
I then thought, well, I'm not going to be able to talk to people about this because mm, it's kind of taboo. And I also, in some ways, was self-medicating and it wasn't supervised by a doctor. And I don't think my doctor would be okay with this. And so I put it out to our group and I said, like, who do we know? And of course, you were like, hello, Alexis, this is what I do. (laughs) I know know a little bit about this. (laughs) A little bit about this. So I am so glad you're here because I really don't want to encourage people to do what I did. I don't think that's the best way forward, Um, you know, treating ourselves like guinea pigs. And and I'm so glad that, you know, coming into this, you really do want to talk about the benefits, but also some of the risks. And so we're not advocating that people do what I did at all, but just to get the information and understand better what some of those options are and potentially ways that you might be able to engage safer or in a safer manner. Yeah. Um, And I think that starts with understanding like what exactly are psychedelics? Like for the total newbie here who's listening, who's like an entrepreneur, who's like, what? They're talking about drugs? (laughs) Um, Yeah. What's a psychedelic? And how do people even get these things? And if they're not legal, should we even be talking about that? Well, I think one place that's really helpful to start is like, why would we be talking about psychedelics and burnout in the same conversation? Yes. So when we're talking about psychedelics, we're talking about um, compounds that change a state of consciousness. So some psychedelics have hallucinogenic properties like LSD, where people may see colors, they may see shapes, they may sort of have different perceptual experiences. Um, But psychedelics also include usually in that title, we include things like ketamine, which by the way is legal and can be used to treat depression and things like that. Um, but ketamine is a little bit more of a dissociative. You might not see, um, you know, the jumping green men you might see with LSD, but you might have an experience of, um, leaving your body or this sort of, uh, different state of consciousness, um, that, you know, can be healing in a couple of different ways. I think what's really interesting about this conversation is that when we're talking about burnout, neurologically speaking, we're talking about a brain that's really tired, like it's overused certain neuron connections so much that those connections begin to kind of fray. And specifically with burnout, we see changes in the amygdala, which is, of course, most people know the part of the brain that really um, holds our fear response as well as our sort of negative emotion response. So in burnout, the amygdala gets really big and like overactive and the connections between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex begin to weaken. And sometimes those neurons even die. And that's important because the prefrontal cortex is of course our like really juicy problem solving executive functioning part of our brain that generally helps us talk ourselves down from our fears and our sort of irrational um, lizard brain. So in burnout, as you're kind of painting the picture of yourself in your office floor, like your brain's ability to even rationally think through and work through the things that are stressing you or bothering you kind of goes offline or at least is impaired. So some of the research on the neurology of what's happening with psychedelics, um, And this is work I'm thinking of from Robin Carthart Harris, who was at um, um, King's College London and just moved to UC San Francisco. And then also there's a lot of research coming out of Johns Hopkins, just so you know that I'm not like making this up. (laughs) Um, So I won't cite you specific studies, but those are the sources I would look at. When we are in a psychedelic state, specifically for research purposes, let's talk about psilocybin, which is the 
the technical name for magic mushrooms, all kinds of different brain areas are reactivated. They, um, they sometimes refer to this as a scrambling of the default mode network. So the default mode network is these like trails in your brain. You think of like deer trails, like places in the grass or a field where it's easy to walk. Your brain gets in those kinds of habits. And those are the places that get fatigued during burnout. So when you're adjusting or sort of scrambling, shifting the default mode network, you're sort of like mowing the lawn and eliminating all of the deer trails. Like it's just your brain gets this reset and we can see this in functional MRIs. Like we can see how the brain is responding and lighting up in different areas, um, which is sort of like a, a nice, like massage for your neurons <laughs> might be one way to think about it. I love it. That is amazing. I mean, such a cool analogy and like just a better way to understand what's actually happened. Because for me, like it, it feels like it's lifting something like some of the pressure I've been feeling and some of the, the ruts I've been stuck in or the inabilities to, you know, step outside myself and, and examine what's really happening. Like, it feels like it's, it's lifted all of that right off. And um, yeah, mowed the lawn. Mowed the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> So I can get out of those ruts and, and begin <laughs> to see things in a clearer way and yeah, and make those connections again. I love it. Um, oh my gosh. I just, it's so easy to sit here and say like, well, why the heck isn't this legal? <laughs> but yeah. I mean, do you, do you see we're, this being legalized? We're right? working on it. I mean, yeah. so honestly, um, I'll speak about the U S context. Um, and I think there's a very parallel process happening with health Canada. So the FDA, um, has granted a special status to psilocybin as a treatment for depression and MDMA as a treatment for PTSD, which is to say that these are treatments that show considerable promise and it's kind of, um, speeding up the clinical trial process. So when drugs come to market, they go through three phases. The, the first one is to establish safety. The second one is to establish, like, does the drug actually do anything with the outcome that we think it does? And then the third phase is like a bigger trial to see how it responds in more people and more bodies. So MDMA and psilocybin are both in that third phase, which means that, uh, you know, assuming that the research progresses as we expect that there aren't any major negative outcomes, you know, that the, the medicines seem to work as they look like they're working, that these medicines could be legal for these purposes in the next 18 months to two years. So that's, I think, really exciting and really promising. Yeah. Like I personally am training to be a therapist approved by MAPS, which is the organization that's supporting the PTSD and MDMA research. Um, because I do think that we will see these rolling out. We are also, at least in the States, seeing some cities or states decriminalize um, psychedelics and or approve psychedelics for therapeutic use. For example, in the states, um, the state of Oregon, um, you know, has it's legal to use psychedelics for therapeutic purposes. They haven't quite figured out the logistics of like who <laughs> can prescribe and how you get mm. that and like those kinds of things. But all that to say, like the legal process is moving along. It's just slow. In some ways it's helpful that it's slow because you do want to make sure that, um, it works the way we think it works. And we want to be careful with our brains, 
but it's also hard to wait when people are suffering and it feels like there's something that could be helpful. Can we just get there faster? So I'm of both minds about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear both sides of that and I'm excited to hear, especially for trauma and PTSD, that there's potential for legalization. And it sounds like if you go to Oregon now, there might be some loopholes. You're not going to get in trouble. (laughs) So your psychedelic experiences may or may not have happened in Oregon, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nothing. Allegedly everything happened Um, or everything happened allegedly. So I think like, again, we're, we're tiptoeing this line. It's not legal. We know people are doing it. We know people are getting therapeutic support around it in different states where it is legal. Um, (laughs) but for people who are listening, like when I brought this up, um, in a group of entrepreneurs that I lead, everyone said, I want to hear that one. I've heard about this. I've, I've been hearing, you know, whispers, or I know someone who did it, or they know me. And then I've opened up with them about my alleged experience. And so there's obviously so much curiosity. And so where should people really start aside from podcasts like this, where they're starting to kind of get a base level understanding. But if you're thinking about this, if you're experiencing burnout in the way that I was or more severe, or you're experiencing, you know, stress cycles in a heavy way in your business, what's a good starting point? Like where do people go to learn more and to have an understanding? And yeah. Well, there are some wonderful books for sort of general understanding, um, consciousness medicine, how to change your mind. Um, I can send you a list that you can, um, yeah, we'll put it send out to your crew, <laughs> but I think generally the first, the first thing that you want to think about is safety. So mm-hmm. when you think about safety you're thinking about both the safety of the substance that you may be choosing to use how is it sourced? How are you testing it? How are you making sure that it is what you think it is? Mm -hmm. Um, and for some substances, there's, there are testing kits that are widely available, um, that you can, you know, put your powder on and see if it is what you think it is. So dance safe, for example, is one source of testing kits that can help you evaluate the safety of any substance that you may come across. Yeah. So safety of the substance, of course, is paramount. You want to know, um, you just want to be really careful and mindful of, of course, what you're putting in your body. And then the second thing that I think is really important in terms of safety is context in the psychedelic world, we call it set and setting. So there are now a number of training programs, um, really across the States and Canada that are training integration therapists, Um, And some are also training like sitting coaches. So these are people who would sit with you while you are under the influence of a substance and have some training in how to support you and what's appropriate, how to help you, how to make sure that you're okay. So that may be a thing that you research. And then I would absolutely also either same person or different person have someone that you're talking to about your experience. This can be an integration coach um, or a therapist who has some specialized training. Um, the MAPS web, website is a good source of information for that, for people who have identified as, hey, I have some expertise and experience in this area. Um, so you want a team of people around you to help you understand what's happening. And I do think it's important to identify both that these are really powerful medicines. Um, They're drugs. Mm -hmm. They do change your consciousness. They do. There can be some risk if, for example, you have a family history of psychosis. uh, There are people in your family who have schizophrenia. uh, You know, I would proceed with caution. Think carefully about what 
um, vulnerability might be lingering within you and something like a psychedelic, just like a lot of other medicines could put you at risk for kind of bumping over into a mental health condition that, um, you know, you certainly don't want to add to your plate. Could this trigger a psychotic episode for some people? Like, are we talking about, is could this be a trigger for schizophrenia if it's like latent or I don't know the terms because I'm, yeah. I'm not a psychologist like you, but is, is that a possibility for people? Like this is very serious sounding. Yeah, probably it's a possibility. So it hasn't happened in the research studies, right? There hasn't been somebody who has had a genetic vulnerability. So when we're talking about mental illness, we're often talking about that sort of nature plus nurture issue. Mm -hmm. So if you have, again, a genetic vulnerability to something like schizophrenia, which is pretty biologically driven, mm -hmm. and then you add to that significant stress or, you know, potentially a consciousness altering experience like a psychedelic, there is anecdotal evidence and certainly theoretical evidence, and then lots of lore case studies around the possibility that that could have a bad outcome. It's, it's a little hard to prove like causation or correlation in those situations, but it's something that you would want to treat with real caution and it might be a rule out. Yeah. That's so important because, you know, as blase as I sound, when I talk about my alleged experience, I don't actually want to encourage people to do that at all. I think part of the, you know, the real reason yeah. that we have you here is because there are safer ways to approach this if it's something that you're considering. And it sounds like legalization is right around the corner as well. So, which is helpful um, because it does allow more open conversations between, yes. <laughs> you know, psychedelic explorers and their physicians to mm -hmm. better understand. I mean, drug interactions are also something to consider. People who are yes. on an SSRI are probably not a great candidate for some psychedelic medicines because it also um, impacts the serotonin system. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, there are cautions. I would also just, again, to play counterpoint, these are medicines that are widely used around the world. Um, they are not highly addictive. Everyone, you know, it happens, but it's a low chance. So um, I don't mean to create fear. I just mean to create caution. Yeah. I think it's like, as you said, it's a counterpoint to as wonderful as some of these medicines might be for people. There are some dangers involved. And I think it's really important that we share um, both yeah. sides of it. So yeah, I just keep thinking about the woman that I've talked to and my own experience with this and kind of what they're most curious about and, and what they most need to hear or want to hear about the potential for psychedelics as a as a treatment option um, or a therapeutic option for them as they're experiencing so much stress. <laughs> um, you know, what are some of the other ways that you see, I guess, entrepreneurs coping with their burnout? Um and independently or, or with a therapist, like what are some of, I'm trying to get around this legally, but yeah. what, like, what are people taking? What are people doing for entrepreneurial stress and burnout? And are you allowed to say that or? Oh, sure. Have to, like, <laughs> around it. I'm basically like, are they taking MDMA, ketamine? Like what are the more common treatments and how much or how little are people taking and in what context? Like, I, I'm so curious. Yeah. I mean, so one way to address this question is to recognize there are there are a number of ways to reset that tired brain and you know your listeners may be really interested in the book stealing fire by stephen kotler which talks about 
entrepreneurs um, and their need to be able to protect their creative drive. And so things like surfing, which we've done together, by the way, um, (laughs) (laughs) once upon a time, um, can put people in a flow state that Mm -hmm. is healing to the brain. There are certainly, when we think about the psychedelic world, um, there are, you know, international retreat centers in Costa Rica and Colombia, places where these substances can be used legally. Obviously, that's definitely a proceed with caution. Um, going on a big international trip and sort of returning when your brain has been through something really significant um, sounds really stressful to me. But, you know, if if there's the right support and the right safety, that ability to step out of the day-to-day grind of your business, to go to a beautiful, safe place, to have a lot of focused support around a deep journey, and then to, um, you know, have appropriate integration or kind of conversation on your way home and kind of re-entry into your day-to-day life, um, on paper could be really, really lovely and really helpful to a burnt out brain like ayahuasca trips that you hear about people taking is that kind of what your would be like the more common thing again we're not recommending that yeah yeah i mean in uh, terms of like what i see on my instagram feed yeah, um, yeah I, I, ayahuasca certainly fits in that category of resetting the brain kinds of experiences psilocybin things like that but again lots of caution around safety and context yeah for sure and i have a number of friends that have gone on trips like that. Um, again, not recommending it, but it is something that people are doing, um, and experimenting with. And, uh, yeah, I think hopefully as the world opens up to this sort of treatment that we'll see some more, um, well-supervised opportunities like that with qualified medical professionals on site so that, that if things do go sideways, um, people are well-protected and, you know, not finding themselves on a plane, and, uh, and not feeling well. So yeah. 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 So, so interesting. I, I want to circle back to, you know, other ways to heal your brain, because I think like the temptation to like, well, just take these, you know, <laughs> mushrooms and you're going to heal your brain. You're going to feel better in three days. Right. Alexis. Um, the temptation's there. And I pushed back <laughs> against that. Like before I did that, I, you know, I was still like forcing myself to like run and, you know, run an hour a day. Cause it does make my brain feel better. But when you're already burnt out, that's tapping your system even further. And so when I did, you know, allegedly turn to trying microdosing, um, you know, I hadn't necessarily considered some of the other ways to get my brain into that flow state um, to break up some of those thought patterns and, and reset some of um, those neural pathways, I yeah. think the way to describe it. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the other alternatives that you're seeing outside of outside of the psychedelic world? Psychedelics? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, certainly meditation, like mm-hmm. really old practice, lots of data, um, lots yeah. of experience about different ways to do meditation. Um, that is a tremendous brain rejuvenator. So getting a meditation coach, really committing to a meditation practice, getting social support around that. Those are, those are, that's a really, really powerful tool. And often we use that in combination with more traditional medical interventions. You identified running. I talked about surfing, Mm -hmm. um, 
for me, I have a, a practice related to circus. So I do a lot of aerial and trapeze and those kinds of things that use different brain centers than we use in our kind of day-to-day -day staring at a computer and maybe talking to people when we're using other parts of our brain in a really intense, dedicated, habitual way that can help offset some of the fatigue that those overused brain centers feel. So that's obviously a really helpful practice. I love that. I love all of your trapeze and we're going to link your, your account so people can follow and watch your like wild aerial stuff and the trapeze. Like I've um, had a little bit of experience in trapeze and I just love it. And I, yeah, I can totally see why people would be able to um, use those other parts of the brain and, and get out of the same patterns and, and, uh, yeah, pathways that their brain is, is potentially stuck in through experimenting. So I love that, that there's experimentation and opportunities away from just turning to psychedelics or microdosing. Yeah. You're hearing this and you're like, oh gosh, I have a history of depression or I'm on SSRIs or I'm not sure that this is the step for me. Then there are some other really, really cool things that people are doing and definitely meditation, uh, breath work is another one that mm -hmm. I've done and the combination like meditation and breath work can be phenomenal. So I'm actually looking to potentially have on a breath work expert and to do oh, a awesome. breath work session on the podcast. Amazing. <laughs> um, and, I love it. and let's yeah. not forget about therapy too. I mean, yes. that's <laughs> sometimes burnout happens because we're kind of diverting our energy in the wrong places and we don't have any input of energy. And so a great therapist can sort of help identify, Hey, maybe you need a little more play, or maybe you need a little more connection to kind of offset the wear and tear that your life is having on you. You know, I think getting creative about how we reorganize our lives is, um, also part of this conversation. And I, I will say that with psychedelics, I mean, it sounds like you had potentially are describing someone who may have had a pretty quick turnaround experience. And sometimes that's the case. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes the changes unfold over time. Sometimes the psychedelic journey is pretty scary and upsetting, and it leaves you with a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, even if you're choosing to um, use a medicine as part of your kind of burnout intervention, still having that breathwork meditation practice, still having your running, still having your therapist. It really is integrating all of those pieces that I think is a gold standard of care, which yeah. is why, you know, even as we talk about this sort of FDA legalization product process, this is the first time that the FDA has evaluated a treatment that includes both a medicine and a therapy. So they're not separating the substance, the drug, from the process of preparation and support and then integration. I love that. It's like, I, well, I have a doctor who is a friend as well, um, who prescribes, I mean, like unofficially, but for me, like running is really good for my brain. And so okay. I love that it's not, you know, it's definitely not a one-stop shop. And for anyone who was listening, who heard me talking about allegedly microdosing, yes, three days later, I did feel better, but it hasn't, that's not the full story. You know, I'm still going to regular therapy. I'm definitely feeling much better than I was a couple of months ago, but it's the consistency of meditation every morning and therapy and having done the microdose, allegedly doing the microdosing. <laughs> um, I have police in my family. Um, 
They're fine. I don't um, think it's a felony. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely good to point that out that it is not just a one stop shop, and that I again just love that they're looking at integrating both. That it's not just going to be yeah the uh, the medicine is the solution alone. I think it should almost be like that for almost every other medicine too. Honestly, that's it's like the gold standard of treatment in mental health care, even yeah. for like schizophrenia or like traditional yeah. depression where you're on an SSRI. We've long known that the best combination for people who are experiencing significant major depression, but that, right, you have to go to like different doctors and like a different place and it's a pain. So that's one of my pet peeves about mental health care in general. Is that people are just being prescribed medicine and not offered any sort of therapeutic care, like alongside it, or it's just all segmented. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that in a, a really close friend of mine right now. Um, just haven't been prescribed medicines, but not uh, in therapy, and having to learn all about the medicines herself, and just yeah, made it so much more challenging. Like if there was a more integrative approach, I feel like she would be so much better off and, and not left to try to figure out all the other pieces alone and, and patchwork yeah. things together. So really hopeful for this again. Um, yeah, my gosh, there's so much more we could talk about. And I know that we are running down on time for this episode, but what else do you think people need to know? I mean, we've talked about some of the benefits, some of the options, definitely some of the risks, um, and the approaches, like what else, you know, for entrepreneurs who are listening and maybe they've heard about psychedelics and now they know a little bit more, what else do they need to consider? I mean, I think this is, this is also a community to be involved in. So, you know, there are companies like our, our mutual friend, Kelsey is a CEO of MindCure, who is really thinking about how to bring psychedelics to the general population, you know, when that's a legal process. And so following that company or other companies like it, even paying attention to what is happening like legislation wise in your area, um, getting involved with maps, looking at the Johns Hopkins research. I think this is an area where there is so much evolving information. Alexis, there are 70, 70 university medical schools that are rolling out psychedelic related research or clinical services. So like it is happening. It is on. Yeah, so I think, you know, if you're feeling like, wow, I'm not sure I want to like go, you know, get something from someone who's a friend of a friend of a friend and like, go do yeah. this in my neighbor's garage. Like <laughs> just like be informed, be patient, watch what's unfolding. And, um, you know, I, I do feel really hopeful that we'll have much better solutions soon that will be legally accessible. I feel like I can't wait to talk to you about this in another year or two, because I feel like it's going to be a completely different story by then as well. Um, and I'm really excited for all that you're doing and for the continued learning and certification that you're doing. Cause I know that there are other psychologists and I'm sorry, before I, I refer to you as a therapist, but as a clinical psychologist, I know there are a lot of others who maybe are afraid of this research or are holding back from it or, you know, judging it. And I think it's so important that there are psychologists like you who are on the forefront of this and um, ready for it to be legalized so that you can support your patients and uh, and then the community at large of entrepreneurs with all of our listeners. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank Amazing. you. It's good yeah. to have the conversation. Yes. Okay. One last question before we go. Is there anything else on your heart or in your head that you would want to share with entrepreneurs listening today? Hmm. 
The only thing that we would want to be afraid of is what we don't know or understand, like what we haven't done the work to feel like we've developed some competence in. So psychedelics are their medicines, just like any other medicine. And, and I think it's our responsibility if we're going to use them to educate ourselves. Um, but we don't need to fear them. And I think sometimes, you know, there's all of this kind of spin and conversation around drugs and drugs are bad. And, you know, I have a junior high child who's in health class and like, oh my gosh, people do drugs. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's much more nuanced than that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we're all capable of nuance, but we have to kind of turn down our fear sensors and turn on our curiosity and get the information that we need to feel like we can proceed. I love that. Turn down the fear and turn on the curiosity. I think that applies to so many areas of life and entrepreneurship. So thank you so much, Sherry. That was fascinating. Sherry's final line really stuck with me. She said, we've got to turn down our fear sensors and turn up our curiosity to get the information that we need so we feel like we can proceed. There is so much more to learn about psychedelics, and I've attached a list of helpful resources to the show notes for this episode. Today, I invite you to think about how might you scramble your default mode network in your brain, as Sherry puts it, in a safe and hopefully legal way. How might you alter and reset some of those brain habits for yourself? Before considering diving into psychedelic treatments, have you considered your mental health history, consulted a doctor or a therapist, and sought out an integration coach or someone with specialized training? You can find more of this information through maps.org. And MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Next, How might you consider the safety of anything that you're using as treatment for stress or burnout? How is it sourced? How are you testing it? How are you making sure that it is what you think it is? Have you tried a testing kit like the ones from dancesafe.org? Lastly, before diving into psychedelics, if that's something you're curious about, have you deeply explored some of those other tools for achieving flow state, like meditation, breathwork, or other activities? For Sherry, she gets there through her aerial and trapeze practices. For me, I love to downhill ski, especially on a powder day, surf, run, and paddleboard. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you're thinking about exploring psychedelics, please check out the links in our show notes and talk to professionals. Remember, this episode is not legal advice or medical advice. My alleged experiences may or may not be the same as yours please stay safe. Thanks again to Dr. Sherry Walling. You can follow her at zenfounder.com and at Sherry Walling on Instagram, where she shares about her work as a psychologist for entrepreneurs, an avid aerialist and trapezist, and the host of the Mind Curious podcast and the Zen Founder podcast. I'll see you back here next week when I'm interviewing my friend Jackie Netchel about flow consciousness, finding flow state, and breathwork for burnout. You and I will get to experience a small taste of breath work together. So get ready for a powerful episode. We'll see you soon.